This is Mission.org. You can't be too distracted by all of the new hypes and the new things that you think are going to solve all of your problems and that are going to lead to like a huge leap in growth. Those are really rare. I think there is something to be said with the slow and steady growth where you're investing the correct amount of money and the things that are bringing you the correct return on investment and that you're not overspending on things that are just untested. You've landed your first leadership role within your marketing organization. How do you prepare for that transition? Andrea Zollner, Kinsta's VP of Marketing, shares what she's learned going from practitioner to manager, including her perspectives on balancing speed with growth and how to create a high-performance marketing team and bridge the gap between sales and marketing. Learn all this and more right here on Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and I'm excited to take you on this ride with me. Let's get into it. Andrea, let's do this. First question, 72% of marketers say that meeting customer expectations is more difficult, more challenging than it was a year and change ago. How has this played out for you? What are you doing? What is the team doing at Kensta to tackle this seemingly rising challenge of, of customer expectations? Yeah, I think I would fall into that 72% of marketers. But I think at Kinsta, it's been a blessing more than it, it's been a challenge. And that's because when our customers tell us what they want to see from us, that is pure gold. You know, they have a good enough relationship with us. They feel like they're our partner. We're their partner in either building their business or their online presence. And they're able to tell us like, hey, we love having our website hosted with Kinsta, we love working with you, but you know what would make it better? And then they give us ideas for features. They give us ideas for how we can improve our customer service. And and usually I would say, you know, 95% of the time, those pieces of feedback, you know, are taken to heart and are said with, with that kind of, you know, partnership in mind. It's very rarely that a customer will come to us with like, you know, a very explosive public tweet. It's usually just like really great advice and coming from a place where like they start with a compliment. So I would say meeting those customer expectations is like a great challenge. And we rise to that challenge. And we love hearing that feedback too, because it just helps us, you know, make our product better. A large percentage of marketers, this quote from the staff from Salesforce says 90% of marketers say the pandemic has changed their digital engagement strategy. What are some of the new strategies and tactics that your team has adopted over the last year and change? Yeah. Well, the funny thing about our digital presence is that our um, first hire of a social media manager happened like the first day that we hit the pandemic level. You know, when they announced that it was gone from, from you know, to a full-blown pandemic, that's when we we onboarded our social media manager. And that was such good timing for us because all of a sudden people were spending so much more time online and 
we had to build that online community from just being, you know, the kind of social media accounts that you have to have, because if you don't claim your handle on one platform, you know, someone else is going to take it and, and kind of having just like a platform to republish the blog posts that we have going out. And, you know, you can schedule all of your social media, but that doesn't really give you an online voice and personality. So I would say one big shift that we've made um, has been to just be more playful online, to have more of a personality to our social media accounts. And that personality, I wouldn't say it's different from platform to platform, but we certainly, you know, when you're on Instagram, you have the option to do reels and, and have a little bit more fun there. And then on Twitter, we know that our audience is very much more kind of like the the agency owner and the developer. So we adapt to that there. So I would say posting more content, being more playful, talking about work, but coming at it from a different angle where we're not talking about the features that we offer. We're not talking about just what Kinsta is doing or what we're up to, but we talk more about just like what it's like to be a developer today or what it's like to run your own website. Has there been any shifts in like changing or reprioritizing metrics due to the last couple of years? It seems like there have been a lot of organizations that have like changed and shifted their metrics. And if so, what has become the most valuable metric for you and the team at Kensta? I don't know that this is specific to the last year or so, but I think as an organization gets more sophisticated with their metrics, it's easier and more valuable to see past the vanity metrics, if that makes sense. Like, um, it's great to have social media engagement, but if people aren't clicking off to your website, like, what is it really doing for you? And and there's other answers to that question that are also valuable. It doesn't just have to be conversions. You know, you might be recruiting affiliates. You might be generating more goodwill to your current customers who are then telling their friends. So there's other metrics that you can see beyond just conversions to customers. But, you know, I think that the more you have these different social media presences and, and channels, whether that's email marketing or your affiliate program, you want to see past those vanity metrics and see like, all right, what's actually helping me grow my business? What's actually helping me increase my, you know, MRR? For those of the audience that just isn't familiar with Kensta, just kind of give us the the quick elevator pitch of like, because Kensta has a big presence. I mean, you guys have customers all over the world. So talk about Kensta a little bit and what you guys do. And yeah, that'd be great. Sure. So Kensta is a premium managed WordPress host, and we host everything from I would say small blogs, but a lot of our customers have huge blogs up to agencies and enterprise and nonprofit organizations. So we host websites and we really just focus on making the developer experience amazing. And for people who run their businesses online and that need a really solid foundation and partner uh, in a host, Kinsta is often the number one choice because of our great customer service and just our kind of innovative technology. So how did you end up at Kinsta? I've been in the hosting space for a while. Uh, I got into tech, I want to say around seven or eight years ago. My background is in journalism, but I studied journalism at the time when a lot of newspapers were abandoning their print, their print editions and going online. So I knew pretty early on that digital digital media, digital information, just like that whole world was the future. And so I got really interested in tech from from that experience. And then I kind of just like got an internship at Automatic, which is the company that 
the co-founder of WordPress, uh, runs Automatic. And that was my in. And so I had to learn a lot about web hosting, about SaaS products, about uh, technology from that perspective. And then I, you know, hopped around a little bit. And But I'd heard about Kinsta through that experience. You know, you kind of network at these events and you meet people. And Kinsta was always that competitor that was doing an amazing job that had presence, you know, presence around the world. And so I had a huge amount of respect for the company and then meeting the people. They're just such such fantastic people that when an opportunity to work at Kinsta arose, I, you know, just leapt at the opportunity. So that's, that's a cool intersection from journalism to marketing. I think that's amazing. And then to see that you've, you know, cultivated a career to, to not only, you know, get into marketing, but also like lead marketing team and organization, which is awesome. And I think the perspective around journalism has to be really awesome. And it's got to help you in the marketing world. Was there any other brands that you remember in the early days of you kind of being interested in marketing? Like where did the dance with marketing kind of begin? I know you said you were writing and journalism and then looking around and networking, but were there were there brands or were there just things that you noticed in marketing that kind of caught your eye and that got your attention in the early days of your beginning of dance with marketing? I think my gateway to tech and online marketing, I mean, I think I have to say that journalism is not a career that pays very well. And so I think that our teachers at the time were trying to prepare us for that, that reality. And they're trying to tell us like, you know, it's kind of like acting, like, if you could do anything else in the world, a lot of actors will say like, please do something else because acting is just really, really hard and you have to love it. Because if you don't, then, you know, dealing with the failure and the rejection is not a life that they would you know, <laughs> recommend to anyone who isn't just so super passionate. And journalism is a little bit the same. Like it's tough. It's hard. You can put your life at risk for it. So if you're not really passionate about it, you know, there are a lot of other things that you can do and and no one will call you a sellout if you go and do PR or you go do marketing. And so I was introduced to sort of like all of these other careers that journalists will often pursue through that. And one that I really loved was content marketing. I thought that that was so interesting how magazines can balance like the journalism with like having to run the business side of their publication and without getting into like the ethics of, you know, paid media and and, you know, the business of journalism. I think that like lifestyle magazines and and style magazines and all of those ones that, you know, they are businesses, that's where I got a lot of my inspiration in the early days. I was like, all right, these are companies that are creating value because I, you know, really in- engage with the content, but they they also have a business sense about them. You know, they have these partnerships with different companies and brands and they're building their online platforms and they're building their online publications. They have their YouTube channels and just all of that world of media and like the business side of it was super interesting to me. And of course, all of these platforms needed hosting, which is how I got into the tech side of things. Can you tell us about a product or a company that you think is really well marketed? It can be anything, but preferably not in your industry. And then tell us why you think their marketing is great. This is funny because I've got like two very different answers to this question. And I'll start with the the long answer for one of them, which is I love kind of like the startup world for for fashion brands and skincare brands and like all of that area of just like has just exploded. Like there's just so many small brands that are popping up that are, you know, launching these one or two product companies 
and doing direct to consumer. And it's just really interesting to see the ones that succeed and the ones that kind of fade away, you know, after a year or two and looking at the ones that have funding and and a really solid network to start with and the ones that are really bootstrapping it. And I think one company that's popped up recently that I've been following is a hair care brand called Ceremonia. And there's a couple of things that stand out to me and why I think they're going to succeed and, and why I've been kind of following their story. I mean, one, the founder is a kind of, I, was, I would say a former influencer, but she also ran her own branding agency. And I have to, and she's also, yeah, she's really well connected because I believe her husband works at Shopify. But so, I, you know, she has the resources there to launch a good brand, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll be successful, right? What she's managed to do is, to really find a through line, like a a theme for her brand. And that is hair care products for Latinas. And I think that that is so clear from like the minute you land on their website, it's super clear who they're for, what they're trying to achieve, how they're different. And that is like visible also in their colorway, in in the choice of their design and their packaging in their marketing imagery, in the products that they use, uh, like to, like the ingredients that they choose to, to use for their products. And so I think they're doing such a fantastic job with their marketing because that can seem like such a noisy market. And yet there's something unique about them. And it's clear from the images to the copy to the ingredients and the formulation. And then the second answer I have for this, it's funny because I was, I was doing doing this like online alt NBA program last summer. And we kind of had a question similar to this. And and the, uh, the name that I threw out there was Five Hour Energy. And it, it just like, we were talking about it and how <laughs> and how successful that is of a product. And it's so dead simple how they're marketing it. Like we were all wondering like who makes Five Hour Energy? And, and like none of us could think of who it was. And it didn't really matter because they have one product, maybe a couple flavors, but one product, the name of the product is like so clear what it is. It's sold exactly where you need it to be at the cash register, at the gas station. And like, they've just nailed it. Like I would dream to find a product that I could market that successfully and that simply. Uh, I think I'd like, feel like I'd hit the jackpot. I always love this question, Andrea. And, and, it's always interesting to hear from marketing leaders like yourself, but I want you to take us back to the transition of going from marketer to marketing leader. There's an interesting shift that happens there. And so as you got into the world of marketing as you know, a, a tactician and a strategist, and that kind of that also doesn't mean that you're going to be great as a marketing leader, right? A lot of people are fine doing that, but some people like you end up moving towards marketing leadership and doing really well. So what, what was it like for you, maybe share a memory around your early days of like, from going from kind of individual contributor marketer to marketing leader? Gosh, I mean, it was certainly a lesson in humility that I was not going to be an expert in every area that I was going to be overseeing. And so I think the, this was something that I was prepared for going into it. So it wasn't like an aha moment, but it was knowing what questions to ask my direct reports so that I could be helpful to them and that I could 
give them the insight or unblock the things that they were getting stuck with or connect the dots where, you know, they needed to know something that was maybe outside of their purview or that they didn't see that was coming. And so it was kind of finding my place and being their manager when it was an area of marketing that was unfamiliar to me or that was new or that I had experience, but I certainly wasn't an expert in. So when you're managing a team of experts, you have to have to give up the fact that you're never going to be an expert in the same way they are and, and to figure out how you can be a best, the best support to them as possible. And for me, that was realizing like, oh, I get to be your advocate in the company. So what you're working on, what you have your head down, you know, every day trying to solve, I'm here to make sure that you're going in the right direction, but that I can also move obstacles out of your way and that I am setting you up for success so you can do what you do best. And that's actually been my favorite part of marketing leadership. Everybody's a marketer. So you're getting a lot of input, you know, certainly. And the other thing about it is, you know, you know this well, very well too, is being at the helm of marketing puts you in this really unique seat across the leadership team, right? Well, you're, you're, you're getting input from the leadership team, you're getting input from the marketing team, probably customer service, sales. I mean, you're getting a lot of input. And so how, how do you navigate that with, you know, execution and actually, you know, moving things forward? Because to me, you'd be getting a, like, it's like a fire hose of information. I haven't been in this exact position of leadership in another company. So I can only talk about my experience at Kinsta. For us, what has been crucial to the success of all of our departments is super clear alignment on our values. And that starts from the CEO, but it, it starts at the executive level, how that manifests in different departments. And yes, everyone has opinions and everyone kind of has maybe their preferred approach. And may, we don't always agree on everything, but where we do agree is that core alignment of the Kinsta values and how we prioritize you know, our customers making good decisions that are good for like the stewardship of the business and how we treat our people well. And all of that is something that we have 100% alignment on at the executive level. And so with that trust and knowledge that we all agree on these fundamental principles, we're able to extend that trust to, you know, each department head and to say like, okay, I know that you believe in the same things as me. And so I trust that you're going to lead your department in a way that aligns with that. And so am I. So we don't actually have that many conflicts where we're all kind of butting into each other's work or, or trying to have different opinions of how each other should lead or, you know, do things because we're able to, to ha have that trust as a foundation. And then where there are some minor adjustments or disagreements or realignments that need to happen or conversations where we need to make exceptions or things like that. You know, I think communication and just a genuine respect for each other has, you know, goes a long way. And we have that at Kinsta. So it's been really easy for me to move up to my position because I was coming into that culture that had already been established. The marketing leader is oftentimes either creating the culture, setting the tone of the culture, you mentioned that there was a culture existed before you, which makes sense. But now that you're at the helm of that of marketing and certainly you're a leader in the culture aspect of things, how would you continue to cultivate the right culture as a marketing leader? I'm curious yeah, to know that. You have to walk the talk. I know that's so cliche, but it's true. I think especially in a remote environment where a lot of what you do and say is public 
and accessible to anyone in the company if it's in public channels. We use Slack and Trello and Confluence. So we try and document as much as possible asynchronously for everyone to be able to access notes. And we record meetings so people who are not there can rewatch them. So you have to be very thoughtful about what you say and do, which is, I think, a great thing because it forces you to really check, like, am I making a decision or am I uh, commenting on something that is going to build people up and move us in a positive direction? Or am I going to be creating and fostering kind of this negative, cynical environment where, you know, if someone has an idea that doesn't really fit with our goals this this quarter, you know, they're going to get ridiculed for it. And or, you know, or something even more subtle, which is like leaving people out and not including them in in decisions or tagging them in things that they should see. Like you need to be on top of creating that culture because, and one of the benefits of remote is that, you know, you're kind of forced to pay extra attention to that. And I think just doing that on a daily basis of like cultivating that positive environment where everyone's ideas are listened to and people feel free to contribute their best work is how we all succeed and how we continue to to get the best out of our people and to make them happy to come to work and to foster better relationships between colleagues. What is your relationship with failure like now? Failure is like one of those things that I have a lot of grace for myself when I fail privately, but publicly is where it gets extremely tricky. And so for me, my relationship with failure has really been like, all right, how can I become better about failing in public and not being so self-conscious about it and understanding when to brush things off and to kind of make a joke of it and when I need to address the failure and, you know, kind of come up with a post-mortem and make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again. So it's, you know, being able to identify the mistakes that need to be addressed versus the ones that are like, you know, everyone can see that this was not a big deal, like we can move on. But not beating yourself up too much, um, but making sure that there's enough grace everywhere where people can feel like they can try things. And if they're not successful the first time, at least you tried. Connected to that, like, what's your relationship like with, I say, velocity of growth with like, you know, especially in 2022, in many ways, you know, being able to, you know, move very quickly as an organization, as a team and accomplish goals rather rapidly how do you kind of dance with that with like, okay, well, got to be growing, of course, got to be got to be mo- trending up. And with the technology available with the resources that we have now in marketing, you know, is that enough to kind of keep that at bay for you? Or do you feel like there's this kind of gentle tug with with are we growing fast enough? Are we getting there fast enough? How, what's that dance with speed and growth as a marketing leader for you? Growth and being able to monitor your growth is like it's a double edged sword. It's a it's a cruel mistress of seeing, you know, how well you did the last month and the the fact that you're not matching those growth or exceeding those growth stats, you know, the next month. I have so many thoughts about this. One, you know, I think that you can't be too distracted by all of the new hypes and the the new things that you think are going to solve all of your problems and that are going to lead to like a huge leap in growth. I think you need to be really realistic about pursuing all of the things you think are going to be the secret sauce to to extreme growth or the silver bullet. Those are really rare. So, you know, I think there is something to be said with the slow and steady growth 
where you're investing the correct amount of money and the things that are bringing you the correct return on investment and that you're not overspending on things that are just like untested. So I want to kind of give a shout out to like the slow and steady. And in terms of like the speed of growth, you know, I, I also think one thing that I've learned as the head of marketing, having to build a company with people who are in different departments and who have di slightly different priorities, like whether it's customer success or global expansion or our operations and our legal team, is that I can't just pull the trigger on everything that I would like to do because in marketing, we can like kind of test quick and fail quick and bounce back and do something different the next day. But that's not the case for other departments because when you make changes that impact your customers, you kind of have to be very thoughtful about it and you have to move in a way that is very um, considerate of like the well-being of your customers and the future of the business. And same thing for legal and operations. You know, we have to make sure that we're setting ourselves up for a business that has longevity. And so that's been a great learning experience for me to balance those and to be able to not just put like rapid growth on this pedestal, but also to think about how are we building a business that's going to be here in 10, 20 years. Shout out to the slow and steady. That actually that actually might be the episode title, Dustin, for this one. I like I like that. Shout out to the slow and steady. It's uh, spoken like a real journalist. Thank you, Andrea. <laughs> oh, that's great. What's one skill that you've continued to cultivate in your career now as a marketing leader that continues to benefit you and those around you? My background in writing has been the greatest asset to me in my entire career. I think being able to communicate well in writing is great, whether you have a job that requires it or not. Now that a lot of companies are going remote and going online, being able to write those updates, those company updates, being able to communicate on Slack in a thoughtful way that is clear and concise. And all of that is such a skill. So I, I recommend to a lot of people, you know, if, if you're struggling with your writing skills, like do set aside time to do that because you may be in a situation in the future where you have to contribute to a blog or you have to write up even just a, a project update and having that skill set is great. And the other thing I would say is, Staying focused on the on the North Star of what you're trying to achieve. And that's been something that I think just experience has helped me sharpen that skill and kind of seeing through the BS and seeing past the pizzazz and getting distracted by what competitors are doing, but kind of being able to focus on what's right in front of you and what you're trying to achieve. That is also a skill that I'm really grateful to be able to have developed over the past couple of years. Can you share maybe a success that you're particularly proud of in terms of your career to date? And why was it a success? Uh, I have a couple of different answers. You know, I think moving up into my first management position at Kinsto was probably a huge highlight for me, maybe even more so than becoming VP of marketing. So prior to becoming VP, I was head of growth. And then before that, I was an individual contributor. So those two steps kind of happened pretty quickly, one after the other. Those were huge kind of successes for me. But that first one definitely was kind of that initial opportunity to to be a leader and to, like I said it kind of earlier, to be an advocate for my team. And I'm trying to think of one specific project that we shipped, but there isn't one. I think it's 
I think it was just kind of seeing each one of my team members succeed in their own projects and giving them the credit for it and being able to to celebrate as a team was is one of those like feelings that I kind of chase after now. It's one of those things that I I try to cultivate and one element of that that I'm not always good at, but I'm really trying to become better at is to stop and celebrate those moments because you know, with the velocity of growth example or question, we we're talking about just like trying to like grow and chase the next thing. And and I think with all of the projects that we have ongoing and all of the goals that I've set, I just, I'm always focused on the next thing and I want to climb the next mountain. And I want to, I'm like, okay, cool. We, you know, we shipped this thing now let's iterate on it and make it better. But I have to stop and say, well, you know, this was a huge win. Even if it was just phase one, we need to stop and celebrate like that this was a success and it hear the things that we did well and hear the people that made it happen. And so uh, pausing to to highlight that is one part of leadership that I've been learning to do better. If you could restart your career from the beginning, what would you change? I think I'm grateful for each of the experiences that I've had. I also kind of look back at younger Andrea and I wish I'd been more outspoken earlier on about the things I was interested in and the places I wanted to work and advocating for myself in certain companies where there were projects that were that were interesting to me that I didn't get to work on. So I don't think that there's one career move I would have done differently, but there's certainly opportunities I didn't fully pursue when I had the opportunity when I had the chance to do so. And so I would this is kind of a, a piece of advice for people I give to people who are younger and in, or breaking into new careers, which is like, speak up. If there's something you want to learn, if there's something you want to do, you know, you might get told no, but at least you asked. Is there something you can tell us, something that maybe you had to learn very quickly, but knew nothing about before? Hosting technology <laughs> development. I mean, I was young and I was really interested in it. So what I ended up doing in my careers, I happened to have a couple of months where I was underemployed. I wasn't like, I was kind of freelancing, but taking on as many contracts as I wanted. And I took that opportunity to collaborate with a developer where I would do kind of the content for, for clients and they would do the development and build websites. And by working in tandem with, with a developer, we got to shadow each other in a way. And so through that experience, I was able to get really caught up on, you know, how do you build a website locally? How do you, uh, you know, put things like what, what's a production environment versus your development environment and staging and all of the, not only the words, but how the technology worked and the communities that existed around these different frameworks. Um, I had to learn that fairly quickly, but I, I did have the luxury of being able to do it while I was not formally employed. <laughs> And I can see how that was preparing you in some ways for stepping into working at Kinsta, because now you have this relationship and connection with developers, which are who are really important to your community. So I love that step. Being a modern day marketing leader to, in 2022, to me, there's, as I look at across the landscape of modern day marketers, there's this art and science, there's this kind of right and left brain mastery almost that you kind of have to have as a modern day CMO, VP of marketing. I think long gone are the days when, you know, there were marketing leaders in the past that didn't have to be really good at both of those things. Nowadays, you and from what I've seen in my humble perspective, you kind of have to be good, if not great at both of those areas. And I know that you have this interesting journalism background, which is, which is really interesting. I think that lends itself so well to marketing, obviously. 
But as you think about the art and the science of marketing, where do your strengths lie within that? In addition to the writing aspect, like how do you, how do you kind of feel, feel yourself in the balance of those two things? Definitely more on the art side than the science. But I've discovered, you know, that there's, it's not as scary as it sounds to get into data. And it's not as difficult to set yourself up for success in that area. You know, one thing that is true for any marketing department is you want to surround yourself with experts in their fields. And so if you don't have someone who's really strong on data and who uh, is a self-proclaimed like Excel spreadsheet whiz, you know, you're going to want to find someone like that on your team. And I, and I have those people. So it, a part of it is hiring the right people to offset maybe the areas that you're not as, as strong in, but inviting them to teach you as well. I think that that's, you know, leadership is not just, uh, you know, top down, it goes both ways and you have to learn from your team. So that's how I've kind of made up for maybe my, my natural inclination towards like the words and the imagery and the branding side of things and the marketing content. But on the flip side, I've really loved digging into the data because it's, either challenged me on my assumptions and my hunches, or it's validated them. So it can be a really useful tool when you want to do something and you have multiple different opportunities and, and you're not sure what the best approach is or what direction to go in. And, you know, you can either back up your decision with data or you can rely on it to point you in, in the correct direction. And so I think that getting a good handle on your data as someone who's maybe more artsy can really give you that extra tool set and that toolkit to to make the right decisions, or at least to know what to test first. When it, it comes to, you know, building this kind of high performance team, you know, and you've now had experience hiring people and building a team, what values are, are most important to you as a leader when you think about hiring this high performance marketing team? have certainly made mistakes in the past where I thought I wanted one type of person, but in, in reality, this role required another one. And, and, and I think that's just part of experience and, you know, being a hiring manager, you know, you kind of have to learn that on the go or learn from other people. But the other element that kind of brings another angle to this is remote work. So when you're hiring, you know, you kind of have to balance who's going to be the expert in this field that I'm hiring for? Like, who's the one who has the experience, who's done the work versus, okay, maybe I want to take a chance on younger talent, either for budget reasons or because of the market you're working in, or just, you know, you kind of have a love for up and coming talent. And then, you know, the other one who's like, who's going to be the best culture fit for my, for my team? Or who's the one who's going to enhance the culture? You know, how do I balance the personality versus like the, you know, the person who's the expert versus the one who's hardworking versus the one who's just going to be a delight to work with as a colleague. And that's not easy to kind of stack rank when you're evaluating candidates. And something that I've also had to balance is, well, maybe someone knows a lot about email marketing, but not that much about hosting technology, or someone is really knowledgeable about hosting technology, but this is their first marketing role. Like, how do you balance all of that? And, or maybe it's someone's first remote job and will onboarding be more of a challenge because of that? Will they like it? Will they turn around and be like, you know, this isn't for me. So there's no secret to it other than really knowing clearly what you are looking for before you go into the interview process or like reviewing the candidates. 
Um, having a clear idea of your budget and what your wiggle room is, and that might be a finance, HR, talent acquisition conversation. And then making sure that you have a, a really great hiring committee. We operate with committees at Kinsta, and we have, you know, I think through all of our hiring processes, I think the candidate ends up meeting like close to nine people. That helps us really just get feedback from everyone on the team of, you know, what they, what the strengths and weaknesses that they perceived and and who their, you know, preferred candidate might be or some reservations that they might have. On the topic of personalization, the right offer to the right customer at the right time, you know, in the right channel is this kind of data fueled aspiration. How are you leveraging personalization these days? Probably not enough, if I'm honest. The way you you phrase that question of it being very kind of like what everyone aspires to do, I think that's true. And I think that we're moving in that direction where we're really understanding our customers better, understanding who's coming to our website and, and what they're doing, how they're engaging with the content, those journeys that they go on, what they click on next. Like we're getting more sophisticated about that. And we're trying to recreate those journeys that are the most successful, you know, the ones that lead to the um, highest conversion rate or the biggest plan value or the customers that stay the longest, you know, mapping out those those successes um, and being able to recreate them. But I think that, you know, we're just scratching the surface right now of what's possible. I think there's a lot of tools out there that can totally transform your website from one visitor to the next. I and mean, some of those tools also come with price tags. So we kind of have to make sure we're at that point where we're ready to utilize those tools. But I think we're really just in the beginning of it at Kinsta. And I'm super excited to continue pursuing that into the rest of 2022. According to a recently released survey data from Marketing Charts, businesses plan to focus this year on marketing sales alignment, big shocker, uh, avoiding missed lead opportunities and increased marketing qualified lead conversion. Do you think more and more marketing teams are going to be integrating with sales teams as opposed to being in their own ecosystems like we used to see? A lot of companies are rethinking like departments and looping together everything that is like the revenue team. And I think that's smart. At Kinsta, they are separate departments just because we have so many projects going on with each of these teams. But the marketing and sales leadership are very much in sync. And there's a lot of reasons why that has been by design. And one of them is, you know, we just need to close that feedback loop on the marketing and the sales end of the customer journey. A lot of our signups happen organically just in marketing and never talk to a salesperson. So we do have our own projects that are going and we do have our own objectives and our own kind of marketing cycles that that work well for that. But then we have seen historically that a lot of the customers that go on to talk to sales, they end up purchasing much bigger plans and they end up being customers that become affiliates and and they drive even more sales to us in different ways and channels. So we see a lot of value in that full marketing to sales customer journey. And so we try to optimize that. And we have a lot of demand generation activities that are ongoing. But as a marketer, sometimes you ship something and you look at the numbers and, you know, we talked about vanity metrics, like, sure, I had 200 ebook downloads today. And like, that's great. I'm, you know, going to pat myself on the shoulder that my ebook is doing really well. If 0% of those readers end up converting, then like, what was the value really? Or if 0% of those people convert now, but in 30 days, they end up 
clicking on another blog post or there was one email in particular in your nurturing email workflow that ended up converting, you know, 0.2% of those readers. Like you need to be paying attention to that full customer journey. And what we do with sales is set those benchmarks of what makes a marketing qualified lead, what makes a sales qualified lead. And we set those together. So we set those ways of rating our leads so that the the quality is really good. The lead flow and volume isn't inflated. You know, we're not sending uh, 100% of the leads to sales if the conversations are going to be pointless because maybe that person really just downloaded the ebook because they wanted to know how to do something and they're not in the market for hosting at the moment or they don't even know really what WordPress is. Maybe they're not even there yet. So it really is up to sales and marketing to work together to be able to set those criteria of what a sales qualified lead looks like. And that requires alignment. It requires closing that feedback loop of coming back and being like, all right, let's look at the health of the lead flow this month. What was the success rate of your conversations that you had? What were some of the questions that came back a lot? You know, what can we do in marketing to preemptively answer those questions so we're sending even higher quality leads your way um, and facilitating and making those sales conversations easier for you by pre-qualifying in the marketing stage. So yeah, I think that kind of having those two departments, whether they're under one department on whether you call it revenue or something else, I do think that those two departments need to be speaking to each other and aligning on common goals. Andrea, this has been awesome. Are you ready for the lightning round? Yes. Okay. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Shout out to Salesforce. When you think of Salesforce, think of marketing and engagement being brought together. For those of you who want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. First question, Andrea, lightning round. This one's a doozy. Texting or talking? Texting. Okay. What do you love and appreciate about yourself? My green eyes. That's a first. No one's ever said that. I love that answer. Okay. What's your favorite day of the week? Sunday. Favorite city in the US or Canada besides the one you live in? New York. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Oh, speak every language in the world. All right. Favorite holiday? Christmas. I share that one with you. Shout out to Christmas. Uh, scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? Uh, five. Okay. I live in the city. I don't get to drive a lot. <laughs> Please fill in the blanks. Something or blank, rather. Something wise my elders taught me was. Listen more than you speak. That's my favorite answer. Listen, listen. That's great. Would you rather choose invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you weren't in marketing, if you weren't in marketing or marketing leadership, what would you be doing? I think I would be a documentary film producer. Ooh, love that one. Okay. And last one, what would you go back and whisper in the ear of your younger self about being a marketing leader? Mm, trust your gut. You've got this. Amazing. I love it. Okay. Andrea, thank you so much for being here. We are super stoked and honored that you came on the show. This was great. The time went by really fast, but we loved having you. And thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. 
You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.